Peter. We're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, um... I guess we should all pump the brakes a little bit on the, you know, undefeated Rose Bowl, everything hunky-dory after that uh, Nebraska win in Dublin. Um, things kind of pre- pretty sure we didn't call for any of those things yeah. to happen. <laughs> sure, we didn't, but you can't tell me like that wasn't like ooh, possibly in the back of your mind. It's an even year. Anyway, um, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, kind of coming back to. Coming back to this ground, uh, back to the States, and uh, running into Duke, who's kind of had our number lately. And, you know, you can definitely see a lot of similarities between this game and last year's game, but there's also a lot of differences. So, um, I I guess, just going in, first, got to tip your cap, got to give some pirate booty to Evan Hull. I mean, what a game Evan Hull had. And, yes... You know, just a heartbreaking you know fumble as as time is running out. That that's it, you know it's awful that it happened, but that cannot you know overstate how great of a game he had. He's clearly the star of this team um, from the skill positions uh, right now. You know, you, you can't. It's hard for me at this stage to separate what a revelation he was for the run game last year after Porter's injury with. Um, just what you know what we've seen thus far this year in terms of not just not just his determination and grit um and you know the power that he runs with etc and the, the improvement that he's that he's shown physically but like his, his versatility and we, we called for it like this is a dude that does a great job catching passes out of the backfield i didn't i didn't expect him to to land at number two on the all-time receiving single game list for northwestern uh so soon but like yeah that like <laughs> it was awesome yeah, it was, and I think it's – you look at a performance and you say, okay, so I know some people were kind of poking holes in the offense and, like, the running game and certain things, and we're going to get into all that. But, I mean, again, it's like if you start from the perspective that a Northwestern running back had 278 yards of total offense, two touchdowns, and missed a third because he basically fumbled at the one-inch line. Um, if you start from that, it's like, well, boy, it's like – our discusses point like the guy who's sitting as the star of the O right now had a phenomenal game and really the offense overall in terms of total yards had a really strong game too now there are holes to poke but I think you know Scuzz did a good job last week of identifying and Sam said it off the top that this Duke's got our number for sure and Scuzz was was very much guarding against that last week um, but I think one of the things that 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 kind of helps highlight at and the the way people are looking and looking even with the Evan Hall performance and stuff is it's so hard to carry this game without all of the baggage that comes with being a Northwestern fan and the way all of that is landing on Northwestern the Northwestern fan base right now right one I mean the Duke plate piece you can start there right because regardless of all of the ways this year's Duke game was different from last year's Duke game. The scoreline and the way the scores happened chronologically throughout the game almost mirrors the situation from last year, right? So so we're all carrying that baggage in. 
There's the September piece, right? Which is just continues to be this thing that is just this, just, you know, ball and chain around all of our collective ankles as Northwestern fans, right? And then there's also this, you know, crazy, like the way the first two games of this season kind of almost mirrored the last four years that we took into this of incredible peaks and incredible valleys, right? Where it's like Northwestern nation is just on absolute cloud nine coming home from Dublin. And then we have this, which was just this, you know, you know, not just the loss, but the way it happened, the way the team battled back and battled back only to have it end that way for them. So again, it's like, we're all dealing with all of this and it's kind of like, We all need to be a little mindful and take a breath and try to kind of see through and pick things apart without kind of collapsing within ourselves under the weight of of all of these things that are coming home to roost as a Northwestern fan. And, you know, we kind of went into the season kind of, I I know I kind of had in mind we'd probably be one and one after two. Um, I, I think, you know, we could easily have flipped it the other way. You know, we lose to Nebraska, we beat Duke. Um, hey, guess what? I prefer this scenario. Oh, absolutely, a, yeah. a lot. <laughs> absolutely. And 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 because Fitz Fitz also prefers it yeah. so much yeah, that I've made that joke several times on the yeah. pod before now because this has happened in many, in so well, many seasons. So let me throw out a very specific comp, and a, and I'm doing this for a couple different reasons. Um, but Sammy made the joke about it's an even year and Big Ten championship and everything else. Like, let me tell you about another year where Northwestern lost to Duke in the second game of the season inexplicably, and that was 2018. Right. We started right. the year at Purdue. Like, what I, I, I got up 31 nothing at halftime, almost lost that game on the road. You know, you could kind of, like, reverse the the Nebraska first half, second half with that, with that Purdue game, and then came up, back and horked up an absolute just – terrible game against duke in a 11 a.m september home opener which just seems to be the 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 death knell for northwestern right now um and i say this not to like absolve the team like to just you know wash away what happened on saturday or even suggest that this team is has the caliber to win the big 10 west i don't think any of us believe that they do right now but um the like Northwestern's probably not quite as good at, as they looked at their heights against Nebraska, and they're certainly not as bad as they looked against Duke. And I think our our objective here is to emphasize, like, where are the problems going to come down the road? And right. what can we possibly do about them? Exactly. And I think it's – I know there was some hand-wring and, – and again, it's it's weird to, to kind of look at this game – because right, there are simultaneous things that are multiple that that are that are true. Because I, for example, believe that if you look just within the context of this game, we were horrifically unlucky in terms of the breaks of the game and the way those breaks went. At the same time, we were unbelievably lucky in the way Duke chose to run their offense for large periods of this game. A mistake that every one of our remaining 10 opponents will not make. Um, and kind of in that context, it's it's really weird for me to try to contextualize this, speaking of history, to find a place for this Northwestern team, you know, a comp 
kind of like as Scuzz was alluding to, comps, like to find a comp for them in the annals of all the teams that we've looked at. Because this team is is different to me in that it is a team that honestly, and if you see the forest through the trees, I mean, one of the, you know, potential-wise, one of the better offenses we've seen in a long time at Northwestern. Um, this is a team that potentially has weapons at every offensive position now, okay? Um, and a team that has the ability to cover well and get to the quarterback well. And those are a lot of good things on both sides of the ball, coupled by a monstrous flaw that is the run defense that I think is going to play out for this team. And that's strange because, I mean, I think we can look back to, I don't know, some of the C.J. Bechet era teams, right? Or some of those like teams that were just playing track meet football the whole way and being like, well, it's like, I don't believe, like, for example, Duke hamstrung themselves offensively for large parts of this, parts of this game by trying to throw the ball. Um, we talked about um, Riley Leonard so much coming in. At the end of the day, Riley Leonard was 13 of 24 for 240 yards. Um, an interception he threw in the end zone. A TD he did not throw in the end zone. That was a bobbled ball that was ruled a touchdown. Um and that guy was only open because Garnet Hollis got hurt on that play and, and fell down. 240 yards. 132 of those 240 yards were on two plays. Um, one play where, real talk, the best guy on our defense, a guy who is a beloved player, a guy who will 100% play on Sundays, made an egregious decision in pass coverage. Um and the other where a ball bounced out of one guy's hands and into another guy's hands. That's 132 of his yards. You take that out, Riley Leonard basically completed less than half of his passes for about 100 yards on the day. So it's like you juxtapose that and be like, well, this is a team that can be very good against the pass with a lot of great passes broken up, a lot of great coverage, ability to get after the quarterback. Tommy is now, you know, lit Riley Leonard up on a play when it was actually third and long. Duke's third down completion percentage in this game was horrible right and we have all these offensive weapons and yet there is this one massive caveat to this team and then figuring out yeah beyond this game what is that going to mean for for um this team trying to get that path to a bowl so i mean the ca- the caveat is that our interior defensive line is is a real problem and you called it out a lot at the beginning of the year we just we don't have a lot of really big dudes um to to build a a defensive defensive tackle rotation yeah it's not talent it's math and science it's that's all it is well i I wanted i wanted to to juxtapose it in this way because i think like this is one of those classic like like john you talked about the like the the complaints about northwestern's run game and i think good football coaches figure out the right, like figure out what works or what the matchups are. Right. And I think this is something we've talked about in the past that Northwestern has not done a good job of finding matchups and adjusting their game plan to hit matchups. And if you think about what Duke did, Duke attacked Northwestern's offense up the middle where they, where they, and, and very effectively prevented Northwestern from running the ball between the tackles. So what did Northwestern do? They use screen passes and swing passes to get Evan Hall out on the edge and torch Duke's defense uh, 
sideline to sideline where they didn't have the tackling skills or speed in the secondary to, to stop that. Conversely, Duke's defense would not allow, or I'm sorry, conversely, our defense could not stop Duke from running up the middle. And so then that's what they did. Um, so I like it's, there are flavors. Every team is going to try to figure out what they can do and what's going to work. And the reality is unlike in the past, I don't know, call it five years of Northwestern football, when our defense like really didn't have very many um, uh, flaws, like like you, you, you couldn't attack Northwestern's defense effectively. You kind of had to pick your poison. Um, We're in a world where that's no longer true. Um, It's, I would, I hope that it's less true than it was in 2021. Yeah. But the it it just it underscores how important the offense is going to be and the offensive execution and the fact that like yes, Ryan Holinsky looks like the real deal right now. Like that is going to be critical. We are going to have to outscore uh and outscheme teams this year. We're not going to be able to play your typical 2020 20 2019 2018 Fitzball and shut teams down and hope that we can get, just get enough points. And here's, here's one thing that, like, you know, is a big red flag. I think for the season, we've started out slow in both our games, you know, the Nebraska game, they jumped out, you know, moved the ball at will early um, for the season, Sammy. <laughs> no, I mean, two games. And but like, no, but even, this has been, right. this has been a problem for like three years now or sure. longer. I mean, yeah. yeah. How do we figure out, how to start at kickoff time. I mean, I, John, I made the joke in the stands like, oh, the kickoff is 12 o'clock Eastern, not 12 o'clock Central. Come on, guys. Right. I think, well, and that's, again, it's it's the difficulty of, right, sifting through the fog of this Northwestern history, right, and this, this notion of starting because it's like, I mean, you could juxt- I mean, you could do the counter argument that's like, hey, we went to a foreign country on the other side of the Atlantic and won to start the season, right? And it's like, and everyone making the joke, we're like, that wasn't September, and it's like, this is the kind of the kind of pits that that you go down as a Northwestern fan, and kind of getting back to something that I was saying earlier relative to the offense. I mean, honestly, like a 500 yards of offense for the second game in a row. In terms of yardage, we are currently one of the top offenses in the country. And on one hand, you can be like, yeah, that's Nebraska and Duke. Yes, but on the other hand, we have a quarterback who looks like he could fall asleep in the pocket. He's so comfortable back there. And a line that is protecting him like crazy. Duke is credited with two sacks in this game. I've went through the tape multiple times, the full game tape. And as far as I can tell, these are the two sacks. One is a run play, and I'm I'm not 100% sure of this. I'm 80% sure Ryan Holinsky misexecuted this play. It was supposed to be a trap up the middle with a pulling lineman, and he turned to deliver the handoff uh, in the wrong direction. So Cam Porter ran right past him, and because the line was relatively static at the line of scrimmage, he just got blown up by an unblocked guy, and I think they credited that a sack. The other sack was a play that... These are the things when you fold into the raw breaks of the game luck part of this game. The play that he was hit as he was throwing and they ruled it a fumble. And I think, you know, we were all perseverating over was it a forward pass? Was it a fumble? I mean, probably was a fumble. And at the end of the day, there was no way they were going to overturn it. 
But lost in all of that conversation is my initial thought was that was, boy, he's so comfortable in the pocket that he just sat there too long and, uh, and you know, he's got to get better and can't get too comfortable. That wasn't even what happened. I didn't realize this until two or three times watching the tape through. On that play, what happened was this. Coach Jake realized after two weeks that he's getting pass pro that is so good that he can run a play I haven't seen us run in a couple years when it wasn't against an FCS team. We ran a double hitch and go on that play. Um, It was both wide receivers rent out, faked to the flats, and then went deep on that play. We have gotten crushed on this in over the years by other teams because it's the kind of play you can run when you're not in danger of getting sacked, right? It takes a long time to operate, and that's why we haven't historically run it as much. The pass pro was so good. He was like, get it. I'm here to tell you both receivers torched their corners on the play, and I didn't realize it until a couple times through the tape, and if Halinski had had a quarter second more to throw the ball or had taken a step to the right, that play has a really good chance of being a touchdown. Those were the two quote-unquote sacks. So it's like, that's how good pass pro is. So you can look and be like, honestly, like, like, don't forget, we're really averaging about 30 points a game right now because, again, we had a running back fumble at the one-inch line in this game. Um, And... Then, like Scuzz said, though, like the flip side of it is within the context of this game, you're like, we should have got more points. But the flip side is this offense is just going to have to score bucket loads of points. Can they do it? Yeah, but they're going to have to do it. Um, and again, that's where in the context, it's like, like Scuzz said, we did adjust. The, the coach Jake found those wrinkles he found those adjustments they were clocking our pulling plays early on i don't know what the deal was with that but duke just had our number on those so we went to screens and we crushed them with screens and again that's why why hall oh you know he has 213 receiving yards like so much of that was catch and run so that's letting a running back be a running back um, even if you're working on pass plays um um oh and we haven't mentioned thomas gordon yet (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Scuzz, you've been leading the charge, right, that Coach Jake historically loves to throw to tight ends, and we've been like, gosh, can we get that guy? We have that guy now. Whoa, Nelly. Talk about a coming out party. Yeah, I mean, we talked – like, this is – this is beautiful. This is what we've been wanting since Dunsmore, frankly. Um, I mean, so many awesome talents at tight end or super back that – Northwestern would kind of use on occasion and then kind of forget about like there were the Vitali years where it felt like that dude was a threat up the seam all the time. And there are games we just completely forget about him. Um, but yeah, this was, this was the bread and butter for Bajaki and at, at, at BC, he did it with less talented players. Um, we looked at Gordon relative to the other tight ends on the roster. He looked like the most likely pass catching option and, Man, he is really doing it. 15.6 yards per per catch. Um, he's good in the air. He's getting separation. Like this is a spectacular hands. I mean, some of those catches were yeah. unreal. Oh yeah, the one hander. Like yeah. b- by the way, this is a dude that like partially separated his shoulder two weeks ago. So um 
he drew two pass interference calls too. In addition to the five, I yep. mean, he just they Duke couldn't handle him. Yeah, the one, yeah. the one he's, hander. He's spectacular and awesome, and and gives the vertical threat to this offense that's going to really, really help it blossom as we go forward. Um, and it's just it's it's so great to see. Uh, just to take it back, um, you guys wanted to talk about the early season woes. I, I know. There, there is a lot of positive to take away from this game. There is a lot of negative to take away from this game. Um, early season woes. Yeah, I just, and some of it to me is less about early season woes and more about um, like starting slow in games. Cause I, like that's certainly something that has bit us in in the early part of the season. But I think I think they go together a little bit. And that like Northwestern to me on like watching the game from my couch did not look as sharp as they did against Nebraska. Um, I don't think it's because they don't care. I don't think it's, I don't think it has much to do with, with the fans or the time of the game, like coming off of a game in Ireland is certainly going to be a letdown. Um, but we've seen, we've seen this many, many times. And I just, I think for whatever reason, um, maybe a combination of all these factors, it's, it's, it's easy to, not be super sharp in these in these moments in these early season games. I I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um I think like if I if I look back at past seasons, right? So I and mean, we had some some really brutal losses um that have happened in the past. Like that I think you could predominantly put on the offense like Western Michigan and Illinois State back in the 2016 season. You go to 2017, there's uh, there's a, a a a game against Duke where we got absolutely smoked. Um which really wasn't all on the defense. Yes, some of it was. We lost 41-17, but um, a lot of it was was the offense just being completely inept. Um, I already I already mentioned the aforementioned Duke game in 20, 2018. We lost 21-7. There's the Akron game the week after, which was you know beset by turnovers. Um, and these situations where like it was often the offense that really struggled to to find their way early on or to play consistently and the defense just eventually kind of gave way, right? Like almost like a dam breaking because they just they got put in bad positions so many times. Knowing what we're seeing with our team this year, what Northwestern has to figure out how to do is to start the game faster on offense. Because it is it is this has been a defensive mindset of a team for years. Uh come out, punch other teams in the mouth, just absolutely squash what they're doing. Maybe you maybe you give up an initial drive and then you adapt and and lock them down and the team I think has to figure out a way to start faster on offense um, and more consistently given that, that wins are going to depend more on that side of the ball. And it's just the reality of what we're seeing this year. I know it's so weird because Fitz talked about in the press conference about the heart of the team. And he's absolutely right. The battle and the spirit of this team. And it's just so weird because Scuzz is right. It's like something about the starting of games. And then yet, once both of our first two games reached a point where we were like, oh no, every series is do or die from here on out, Northwestern was the better football team in both games as soon as we reached those points. But it's like once you once you get to those points, it's, it's absolutely right. I think, again, putting this in context, I mean, part of the reason this one hurts for me, I mean, the Duke game obviously hurt last year, but now we know the Duke game last year would have been the difference between three wins and four wins on the season. And I think we all think on the strength of, you know, to a lesser extent, the pass defense and to a much larger expe- uh, extent, uh, the ceiling of this offense 
which looks like a good offense that has playmakers everywhere now, um, that this is a team that's trying to get in a bowl game, right? And that means six wins. And Duke was for sure a huge part of a six-win package. And again, the Nebraska win helps helps make up for that. But I think we're still looking at that path for, for six. And to Sam's, you know, Sam mentioned the woes earlier. I mean, this is where you have to come back to this flaw. I'm not going to call it a fatal flaw because we're going to try to work through it, make it not a fatal flaw and get to a bowl game this year. It's just a titanic flaw. And that is the run defense of this team. And so a couple things that I want to talk about here. One is we talked about last week, and I'm going to say we, I mean I, about how I didn't think Duke was going to run the ball. And the reason I didn't is because they lost their best running back from last season and they hadn't looked good running the ball against Temple. And Duke started off, and I think it is a testament to the fact that Duke was not expecting it to go this well on the ground, that they just went away from it for the entire middle of the game, and then they came back to it later in the game. The bottom line is, almost every play, Duke ran the ball. The entire game, almost every single play, they had good to titanic success. Their running backs ran 21 yards, 21 carries. Their top two backs, 21 carries for 174 yards, eight and a half yards a carry, and three touchdowns. It was a disaster. And again, there's no way to sugarcoat this because Duke may not be a good running team this year. And again, they weren't expecting to be leaning on this. I think if you ran this game back next week and you're like, hey, you two, we're gonna, you guys are going to play each other again this coming week. I think I would expect it to be a game where both teams scored in the 40s or higher. Us, because I think we would have made the adjustments that we made early on in the game even earlier. And also because I continue to think part of the reason we didn't score that many points in this game anyway was bad luck. But Duke's running the ball three quarters of their plays if they play us again. And that's what everyone's going to do. The other thing I wanted to focus in on, I think, to show you... Real quick, before we come off of that, um, there are two... Two things that stood out to me. One, we thought coming into this game it was going to be Riley Leonard running the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. he, he was do all everything last week. He was the established guy. That that was what was going to work for them. Now he carried he carried the ball six times, but only for 17 yards. You have to think that Northwestern was very keyed on him. Mm-hmm. And the and, and th- that's partially what gave Jordan Waters and Jalen Coleman space to space to rumble. Um the other thing is uh at the at the risk of um justifying the approach uh duke nor anyone else knew that coco esimo was not going to play in this game and that feels like it was a massive impact to our to our run d up the middle it was and i think you know the the flip side of that piece is shout to our secondary a little bit understand like we've lost one of our two starting cornerbacks and one our two one of our two starting safeties in two games really in one game and yet the pasty was good against Duke. Um, and that's and so like there's that piece of it, but you're right. I mean, Coco was certainly Coco was really missed from the perspective of ten yard gains turning into forty yard gains. Um, and but what was going on in the trenches was the thing. And all the way since the summer, we've been telling you to gird your loins for this, that this was coming, that it's math. I mean, you listen, I mean, you look on the rivals boards and we've talked to people and people trying to say that like 
guy our our guys are heavier than their list weights and it's like i i don't know what to tell you i mean it's just the lightest defensive eight-man rotation i can ever remember northwestern rolling out onto the field ever and that's not to say you've got talented young guys like Najee story and aiden hubbard out there right you've got tommy but tommy playing defensive tackle still a 265 pound guy playing defensive tackle and he was doing that a lot in this game because we're trying to substitute weight with strength and that only goes so far and I think one of the ways you can really zero in on just how dire the situation was is to look at Bryce Gallagher's stats. So Bryce Gallagher's stats on paper are just just horrific, like shockingly so. He had three total tackles and zero solo tackles, but that should be a little bit of a clue to you to be like, okay, this is a guy who has been on an upward trajectory throughout his career, was phenomenal last week, and suddenly this happens. There's a really easy way to explain exactly how it happened and get used to it because every team is going to do this. Teams come out in light sets. They put three or four wide receivers on the field. This is what Duke did. That necessitates having Rod Hurd out there in the star position because there's a chance he may have to cover one of those receivers. Okay, And Rod Hurd's an awesome athlete. We love having Rod Hurd on the field. He he had a a pretty good game. Yeah, he's he's a flexible player and he's going to move all over the place. Ideally, we would like him on the field. So they go into those sets, and then they spread us out. They spread Rod Hurd to one side of the field. They spread Xander Miller to the other side of the field. They put Bryce in the middle. That's not a problem in and of itself. But when the holes being opened in the line are so big you could drive a Mack truck through, Bryce Gallagher's not going to make the tackle to make an, to like create an extreme example of this situation. If I put one running back and one linebacker on the field and don't put anyone else there and tell the linebacker he's got to make the tackle, that's a tall order. Eventually, it's too much space. The holes were colossally large. And this is not a team, Duke, that I think is going to have a heck of a lot of success running the ball for the rest of the year. Now, again... The Coco piece, he'd be coming up, he'd be helping out there, he'd be filling the gaps, that's true. But there were a couple of plays where Duke, their, Duke's big 41-yard run early in the play, they basically, they had a tight end on the field, but he whiffed on his block, and he didn't get anybody on that play. The offensive line pulled two guys on that play. And for anyone who knows, that means the other three offensive linemen each had to single up block a defensive lineman, and then they ran away from another defensive end. So three guys got blocked one-on-one with the offensive line. One guy came free, and they ran away from him. They pulled two linemen. All three of those Duke offensive linemen, who are not future NFL guys, totally won that individual war. Both of the both of the offensive linemen pulled free. Xander Miller, who read the play correctly, got trucked by a free-removing offensive tackle pulling at full speed because everything else was handled and it's like that's what we're dealing with here and it's like it's physics we are playing a bunch of defensive ends out there because this team's been decimated by injuries and that's just what we're dealing with it's no one's fault it's just when we talk about all the weapons on offense and everything duke was not a team who expected to want to run the ball heavy right i mean lord knows we've got i don't know 
maybe half of Northwestern's remaining schedule. Like that's what they do. And it's just buckle up. And it, it's just, we've got an offense that looks great. We're just gonna have to work through this and find a path. Well, this, the other thing that Duke does, you didn't talk about is the RPO. We, and we, we said this leading in that they, they, their offensive play calling, they're going to run a play basically every, every down, they're going to run a play mm-hmm. that has a extremely high uh, chance of success. As long as Riley Leonard makes the right decision understanding where the defensive player is going and then plays kit pitch and catch or hands the ball off correctly. They just, that's the way RPOs are designed. They, they, they pick a player and, and if that player is dropping into pass coverage, they run it to that player's assignment. If that player comes up and run in run support, they throw the ball to a slant behind him. Like, like it's just, it's, I don't know how to describe it. Right. Fitz would say it's communism, it's communism, but it's like it always it it always works unless you fuck it up. Um, so like like to that end, like because I know people were getting yes, you, you talked earlier about Leonard's numbers, John, but I think early on you were seeing Duke move the ball through the air as well as on the ground, and it felt like oh my god, what's happening? And like the like they were they were executing in a way that that really puts a lot of mental stress on a defense. Now I think. I I, th- I think you can ask some questions about what do good defenses do to combat this? And it probably starts with, well, getting pressure and stopping the run with their front four. Right. Um, and when that's not available and this is not a, this is not a John O'Neill defense point here. It's just when that's not available to you, you are scrambling to plug holes in the dam when, when the river is already rushing past you. It's right. And it's so, so first of all, you talked about the RPO and the success that they were having. And honestly, almost all of that success throwing the ball is baked into the first drive. And it all was at Garnet Hollis fits in the press conference this week, talked about how much growth you're seeing out of Garnet Hollis. And you absolutely are because after that first drive, he got way better at coverage. Um, And again, if you look, it's, I mean, it really is bizarre. All of her, all of Leonard's yards, literally almost all of them, are the first drive where he got Garnet Hollis on that RPO stuff, and those two plays. Statistically, it's literally almost all of his passing is is those two crazy long plays and and those RPOs. We got way better after the, that. The and, point, the point on the two crazy right. long plays was that they were crazy lucky because like one was right. an incomplete pass that happened to land in another receiver's right. hands, right, right, and on, and on the other one, like the guy could have been tackled probably thirty right. yards. Right, before that should have been a th- it should have yeah. been a thirty yard gain if Cam had just tackled him. Um, yep. So the. But again, it's so like for a point of reference, this is way off in the distance, but Illinois is going to come out in the exact same offensive sets Duke showed us in this game. And then they're going to run 90% of the time with Chase Brown. It's like that. It's it's like you're going to juxtapose from a, a team like Duke that came in with Riley Leonard's their identity to all the teams on our schedule where like they only want to run. And it's just going to be really rough. And we're going to have to find a way through it. And again, it's like, I think if you would have asked me coming out of this game, like, and and say going back to the summer, like how are things looking? I'd be like, well, the defense is kind of shaping up to to what I was expecting. The offense is way better than what I was expecting. Um, And so, so there we are. So then it's like, okay, so we've got SIU, we've got Miami of Ohio that, you know, 
Again, that 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 Miami of Ohio is the A number one of Scuzz's list of like, can we play like our hairs on fire from the start of that game <laughs> oh, and dude. not just and not just like hang around for a half and see how it goes. Well, hey, at least it's a night kickoff, right? So right. like the yeah. sleepy eleven a.m. Ryan Field game, like maybe that doesn't come come to bite us there. I just before we move on and, and wrap up um, this section, I just I just, I just want to touch on. Halinski again because <laughs> we we should probably mention the number seven passing quarterback in the nation. <laughs> well, and la- last week we were all talking about like, oh my god, a three hundred yard QB performance, folks. He threw for four hundred and thirty five yards, and yep. that like the the last time a Northwestern QB threw for four hundred, it was Trevor Simeon in that overtime game against Nebraska with the epic comeback. Um, but I just like it's not just the pass pro. He's finding guys downfield. He averaged seven point eight yards per attempt on top top of the uh, the eight something from eight point six I think from game one. I mean, this is like we haven't seen this type of attack from Northwestern in a decade um, in the passing game, and it's it's really exciting. I think like if you've been listening to us for a while, we've been talking about how college football is moving on, and you have to have a more potent passing attack and a more potent. Um, offense in this day and age of college football like run and defense cannot get it done alone anymore um the one thing that we haven't seen that that we haven't seen the deep ball right so so he's gone you know what 15 20 25 yards to like a i think hooper price caught a 25 yard ball in this game first catch Um, by ghp yeah i know it's uh it's pretty awesome um you've got you know we talked about thomas gordon before Uh, malik has had some really nice um playmaking plays uh these first two weeks uh reggie florima is is a name we talked a lot about in the preseason four-star wide receiver you know the look of a of a true downfield threat we haven't really seen him i don't know if we've i don't even know if he's been on the field or not um haven't seen him out there no yeah so like that that receiver that can really test test defenses deep um we haven't seen it i you know i'd love to see that 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 double hitch and go uh, type thing again and, and see if we can hit something like that. So we, we can get something in our arsenal for, for some explosion plays once, uh, once the season comes, come the conference season comes to fruition. Cause I think like Halinski and this passing attack, it's, it's the run game is palpable. Our running backs are going to continue to be the face of this team, but this passing game can, can really, um, really bring the heat. And it's uh it's a place we haven't been in a long, long time. I don't even know how to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And so, I mean, he wasn't perfect through 24 incomplete passes, which is a lot of incomplete passes. Some of those, I mean, he wasn't spraying the ball. Some of them were forced into tight windows um, where there was coverage. He missed a couple of reads. He he missed Evan Hall on a couple of plays and went for the deeper play. And and a couple of times that was significant. There was also at least one play where... uh, (laughs) The the refs inexplicably decided not to call a pass interference play. Like there was one play in the end zone where the same cornerbacks, Duke's cornerbacks, were just abused in this game. Um, and in addition to all the yards, there were something like four or five pass interference penalties where the corners were just blind and were turned around and just ran into guys. And then the one they just inexplicably decided not to call on Donnie Navarro in the end zone that ended up ending a drive. Um, so there were a couple of those, but I think, I mean, that forced through the trees theme, Ryan Helinski's got a strong arm, but one thing he does, the short passes, the passes where you're basically passing to run, the screen passes that, you know, 
he's executing those perfectly. And way and, better than last year. Yes, too. exactly. And that's the thing. We talked about so many times where it's like, you think that's an easy pass? No. If you float that pass, the whole play's wrecked. And he's dialed in on those. But the second thing is, he has a line who is protecting him so well, and he could not look more comfortable in the pocket. Ryan Holinsky believes he's not going to get sacked on any play. That is the look of the guy in the pocket. And I mean, it's like, that's what you want. A guy who feels completely comfortable in there and is just going to go and execute the offense. So, yes, absolutely. I mean, like, it's, yes, it's it's not the greatest defenses in the world that we've played, but it is not an accident that guy's seventh in the nation in passing yards. He's dealing out there. Uh, I, I, I do want to move on. Um, but sure. before we do, I just want to interrogate one question. Duke had the ball fourth and goal at the one yard line with like a minute and a half left and we're out of timeouts. What do you do? Like they, they decide to kick the field goal to go up eight, but it's such an interesting question. And I've asked a bunch of people since the game, you know, what's the move? Do you try to punch it in and, and just end the game right there? No. Or if you don't punch it in, now you have to go 99 yards with no timeouts, or do you kick the field goal and force a two-point conversion to come if you do end up giving up the touchdown? If my running backs are averaging uh, 7.8 and 9.1 yards per carry, I 100% run it up the gut and try to score it in the game. Well, here's so here's the one thing about that is it the – it, the par- part of it is how Duke was trying to get those yards because, like, let's let's call it like it is, right? Duke hadn't been able to get in the end zone, so like, and the and they had run previous two plays from like the two yard line and the one yard line, and we kept them out. And again, that's part of it where, again, it's like t- t- to go back. If you look on paper, it looks like our linebackers didn't have a, a particularly great day. Again. It was just a mess, and they were trying to deal with the whole situation. But on that series, they were in the box and being like, well, it's coming right at us, and they acquitted themselves really well there. And again, it's like those are talented guys. This team's got all the heart in the world. Um, All of the guys on that defensive line are like given maximum effort. And again, a bunch of them are really talented football players on the defensive line who are just kind of miscast. So that's all saying Duke, I think, was thinking – and and rightfully so if we don't get this uh northwestern's got a really good chance of going 99 yards and they were absolutely right about that (laughs) um and and then the other part being like well they'll have to complete a a two-point conversion but it is interesting because i think sammy we were almost debating it in the moment being like what do they do here yeah and then they and then we couldn't quite come to a consensus and then they ended up kicking and i mean Honestly, even now, we don't know if it's the right move or not because we never got a chance to do that two-point conversion. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, again, I think the real issue is if, if you look at Wisconsin, Minnesota, all these teams, and again, I, I won't dwell on this now because I know we're going to move on. It's just they're like Wisconsin's not like putting, you know, three tight ends on the field every day like it was like the Barry Alvarez era. Like they, like they'll put a lot of wide receivers on the field and try to spread you out a lot of the time. But they still run all day, and Minnesota does the same kind of thing. And it's like so. It's like these are the problems. These are the things that we're going to have to deal with. This is a team that's just really good in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, way better than we expected. That is trying going to try to find a solution to this one kind of fatal flaw. All right, so I, I do want to move on. Um, you know, we've got Southern Illinois coming up this weekend, 
and you know that their team obviously FCS game you know it's we traditionally you know it, it's have your have your hair up and in, in the, have the hackles in the back of your neck twi- tingling a little bit I mean we can't take anything for granted yeah yes will we be big favorites probably but you know this is our FCS game and you know we can just run down the litany of FCS games that have been way harder than they should be. Uh, I know, Scuzz, this is your least favorite game ever for the Northwestern schedule. But, like, what 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 are we looking at from the Salukis? So, the the bad news... I'll start with the bad news. And then um, we can talk about the good news. And, and by way of talking about the good news, we can talk about Ryan Holinsky. Um, the bad news is that the Salukis offense is really good. Now they have not, they have not been cooking with gas. I'll say their first two games they've lost. They've lost the first two games. Um, that's it. It is very easy to kind of like wipe away. Like, Oh, they lost to South Missouri state and they got blown out by incarnate word. Like this team must be garbage. Well, so week one against incarnate word, they just like completely lost the plot and gave up like seven, seven or eight explosion plays. Um, two balls got snapped over their punter's head for like 40 oh, yard losses. Um, it was, it was just one of those, like, I mean, they, they looked like a, like a, like, like a train wreck out there. They came back against Southwest, Southwest Missouri state or Southeast Missouri state. They would have won that game, but not for two pass interference calls on the, that went against them on the last drive. I'm not saying they're wrong calls, just that that is what kept that drive alive and allowed, um, uh, Missouri state to, to win the game. So like, this is a team with some firepower. I talked about like their QB, Nick Baker, um, and their number one receiver Avante Cox. These guys played together in high school. They won four Illinois state championships. Um, they are both good. Avante Cox has, you know, I, he's put up 60 and 90 yards in the two games they've played. So he hasn't, you know, he's not tearing things apart. Um, they also have like a 250 pound, like Mastodon at, at running back. So like, the, there's things to be worried about. I don't know that they're a bad matchup for us. And at the same time, like there is no doubt that the pedigree and potential of our offense on the other side is the best thing in this game. Right. I think one of the things we talked about last you know, when we talked about SIU in the summer is SIU's defense was not good last year either, even at the FCS level, but they got an incredible amount of turnovers through two games that has not been the character yeah. of, of this team. And that's a, a huge deal um, because, again, they really made their bones with a lot of that. Um, I think I I will not, when it comes to SIU's offense, all bets are off in terms of literally, after the Duke game, all bets are off in terms of what you should expect any team, FBS or FCS, to be able to do against our defensive line in the run game. We're just not going to know until we see. So I'm not going to make any blanket statement. I will say, last year, um, you when it came to um, our FCS game, whether it was a run play or whether it was a pass, game, uh, pass play, Adetomayo Adeboare was an absolute terror. And I think there is a certain threshold of guy below which his raw athleticism allows him to dominate. And that's what he did last year. Well, can, can, um, can we talk briefly about what he did last week from the defensive tackle position 
notching yeah. seven uh, tackle total tackles, five solo, uh, a sack, and a TFL. Like, I, again, pretty damn good given well, everything that was going on. It's so weird too, where it's like again, that's why it's so hard to place this team in the history of other teams because, do like our D line harried Riley Leonard all night. I mean, all day. That's why after he had those two massive chunk plays early in the game, he didn't do anything the rest of the game. Um, and the and like really, we were moving him around. There was that one play where at Tamayo out of war, I blew him up. And again, there's the luck thing. It's like when their quarterback fumbled, they recovered it. When our quarterback fumbled, you know, uh, we didn't recover it, right? But I think... You know, again, I I will say I'll be looking to be like, all right, so what we have to calibrate is are there lines where like, you know, the teams can't move can't move the ball on the ground? Because again, it's like if SIU can't move the ball on the ground, we're gonna obliterate them when it comes time for them to throw the ball. Um, it's just the character of this defense. It just is what it is. Like when it comes to pass rush, I again it's like it's it's so hard. I mean, there have been years and decades past where it was like where Northwestern just didn't have the ponies on the defensive line and here it's like no we have a bunch of like elite defensive ends trying to play defensive tackle in this defense and it's just like it's so it's like when it comes time for a team to have to throw like you know so these are questions that I'll be looking to get answered against against SIU cheat a package all the time (laughs) yeah I'm like I don't even um and but you know I think this is the kind of game where, again, yes, we've all been bit by these games in the past, but we have an absolute, you know, um, we we have an absolute Mercedes of an offense right now. <laughs> oh, you're not going the Ferrari? Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, I well, mean like coming to this game against SIU, like when was the last time you could say that Northwestern's offense was the best unit that was going to be on a field? It's been a minute. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this, this absolutely is true. I mean, you were, we're looking for guys to, to absolutely go off. I mean, I think one of the big things, um, I'd say Cam coming out of, you know, he had a particularly rough week. Um, he missed a couple of holes. Again, as Scuzz said, there were a couple of times where the line didn't do him some favors. It was a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think he's going to be looking to bounce back with a vengeance in this game. He's yeah. probably going to have a big game. I would imagine, too, if circumstance allows it, Andrew Clare, give that guy a lot of carries, minimize injuries, and and let's get back on the, the winning column. I think, really, we need to look at this SIU in Miami as, as two must-wins. Um, and, and if anything, the SIU one needs to be kind of finding the right momentum and the right place to get through that Miami of Ohio game so that we can be three and one heading into that Penn State game. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats. All right, so ready to move on to uh, the rest of the Big Ten now. Yeah, the, I mean, I we all felt a little better by the end of the day, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. And then, you know, again on Sunday, um, obviously, I think 
the the biggest news. Yeah, sure, Wisconsin lost to Washington State, but uh, Nebraska. Um, you know, all, all of a sudden, our our win in Dublin may not be looking quite as good as Nebraska drops a home one to Georgia Southern and then promptly fires Scott Frost the next day, eating $7.5 million of buyout when they could have waited three weeks. Um, very, very interesting. And, and, you know, I I love it. I love it. Except I don't love that Scott Frost isn't around anymore because I love them sucking. Yeah, what do we say uh, in in our preview? Like Scott Frost is worth like minus two uh, net wins. I was gonna, I was gonna say I'm worried now. I'm like, yeah. what does that mean for Mickey Joseph taking over? And like, who knows? That may pick Nebraska up a couple wins. But I mean, it's I think the larger theme, right, is that okay. So we already played with Nebraska. They don't look good. Um, but I mean, that certainly bodes well for their chances of climbing over us in the West, right? Um, and Wisconsin, I mean, Wisconsin looked great on defense. I mean, the amount of times this has happened, this is like the Wisconsin story, right? They looked great on defense. Wazoo, against all statistical probability, won the game. But at the end of the day, like, Wisconsin didn't do enough on offense to win the game. And they got snake bit. And then the, I mean, Spencer Petrus and his three-point-something, like, Spencer Petrus's QBR is going to places that no one knew a QBR was capable of going to. Um, it's, it's bad, y'all. It's I, Iowa bad. is an affront to offenses everywhere. Yeah, it is. It's so bad after being so bad last year. So I mean, it's clear they haven't fixed any of the problems. Well, the, last and year. and they have um, they have not played the backup um, whose name is escaping me right now um, at all either in, in either of their first two games if I'm not mistaken no correct right um, and that's just you know last year they kind of went back and forth um, but man yeah Pet- Petrus looks looks rough we we know that that team I mean they lost two of their wideouts to Purdue and they don't have many others like they, there weren't there weren't any incredible guys coming in Alex Padilla is the guy you're that thank of. you Alex Padilla yeah who has who hasn't played a snap um they just they can't run the ball um we talked about their offensive line um like the interesting thing about like so Nebraska like yes we like we love beating Nebraska we love seeing them suck against uh North Dakota for a half and we love seeing them lose to Georgia Southern it being Georgia Southern's first power five win ever I might add but at the same time, we know that there is a ton of talent on that team, and we were worried about them, and rightly so. Like, they are going to, like, the idea that they were going to win the West was was kind of laughable uh, for for so many reasons. The the primary one being Scott Frost, but um, they, like, it, it's really easy to look at look at what happened these last two weeks and be like, oh, you know, we only beat Nebraska because they're because because they're horrible. They're not actually horrible. They're they're pretty talented. Iowa on the offensive side might be legitimately horrible. Like, like they, they have the latest offensive line in, in yeah. the conference for sure, which is going to be interesting matchup to our D. I, I, right. I know. And that's the thing. So, I mean, we've been having these conversations, right. Where we're, we're looking and we're, we're just looking. All right. So like, if we're going to a bowl, what does that path look like? And I think we all have Iowa as part of that path yep. right now. It's and, gotta be. And, and you're right. And, and the thing is, 
I was 100% going to be trying to run against us. And again, it's like this problem is a massive problem for us. But again, I was the flip side of the coin. I don't know where that ends. I mean, you might be like, well, Duke did it. And it's like, I mean, Duke may be a really bad football team and they still may have an offense that's way better than Iowa's offense. Iowa has, I mean, they have nothing going right now. And it's so wild to me right now that I'm looking at Iowa's defense, which is unbelievably good and being like, well, I feel all right about our chances to get some points against that defense. I just want to see what Iowa's going to be able to do running the ball when all signs point to them just being horrible at it. So just in case anybody missed this, so we, we talked about Iowa last week in that they, they won 7-3 to three against South Dakota State, did not score a touchdown. That was a field goal and two safeties. Against Iowa State, they scored a touchdown on... I think their their second possession of the game. Uh, it was a nine yard drive, folks, because they blocked a punt. Right. And after that, um, I haven't looked at the play by play, but I I wonder. Uh, let's see. So their oh, it was their first drive. Their first drive, uh, two plays, sixteen yards. I'm sorry, sixteen yards on their first drive. Um, their second drive was four plays, punt, fifteen yards. Their third drive, uh, eight plays for thirty four yards, ended in a fumble. Next drive, six plays, punt, three plays, punt, three plays, pick, two plays, end of half. And then in the second half, three plays, punt, three plays, punt, five plays, fumble, three plays, punt, five plays, downs, six plays, missed field goal from 43 yards out. I mean, this is like against their their absolutely hated in-state rival, Iowa State, who, yes, has a good defense, but still. Right. And, and last even last year, I mean, I think – Iowa, the success that they had against us running the ball was to the boundaries, um, which, again, it's not that wasn't what Duke was doing. Duke was going up the middle. But again, it's like Iowa's I mean, Duke's offensive line's got a lot of weight on Iowa's offensive line. Everyone does. This remains the most bizarre thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and again, it's like if you're looking, you're trying to map out a path right now, Iowa looks like a pretty bad football team um, and certainly I mean, it's like if you went into the into the season thinking that the West had warts, well, I don't think any of us have been dissuaded from that. Yeah, absolutely does. Um, any other games that kind of sticking out to you from this past weekend? I mean, not really, but I did. I, I kind of wanted to even just like John mentioned it, but even just like run down the schedule here for the Cats because we haven't we haven't quite done this yet. Just sure. N- knowing that. There were so many question marks, um, especially on the offensive side. Two games in now, I think. I think, you know, we know that the 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 run defense up the middle is is going to be a challenge. Um, we know that the secondary is really strong, and we know that the offense can hang um, with with some teams. So, like, I think that that path to six, we've been saying all along that that's that's the objective. Um, this, this team is not built to win the West, uh, getting to a bowl game, getting those extra practices, um, you know, reversing the, the, the losing record from last year. Like that, that's, that's, what's critical. Um, so Southern Illinois and Miami, the next two weeks, I think we believe those are must haves. Um, at Penn state is interesting because this is another one of these teams with a great D not much of an offense. Um, has kind of struggled to run the ball. I think John, you and I both have this in our calculus, right? It's, it's one of those ones. And again, the fact that it's at happy Valley, I don't know when the last time we won at happy Valley was Um, it's, it's not like the, I mean, it's just, 
Penn State's not playing great football right yeah. now. They're just and that's that's the the main part of the calculus. And and again, it's going to be one of those things. And it's like, all right, so take Penn State, a team that has not been running the ball well. Well, what will they look like when they run the ball against us? Mm-hmm. They'll still probably do it. They'll still probably have success. How much success? Limiting that and then being in that kind of game. And it's like again, I think our our offense is is up to the challenge. But yeah, we'll we'll learn more about Penn State. I think this weekend when they take on Auburn. Will we? Absolutely. Will we? Yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe. Auburn is Auburn's kind of a disaster zone, but um, I guess that's less about their team and more about their administration, which is no different than Auburn for the last however many decades. So sure. Um, but that's then after Penn State, Wisconsin, which I think we all feel like is um, unfortunately just not a great matchup for Northwestern. At the same time, like we've said that in the past, it's a home game. The series is is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Uh, anything can, can truly happen there. But it, we're, n- none of us are really counting that as a potential win. Um, Maryland is up next. And I like I have been on the record that I think Talia Tungavaloa is the second best QB or the best QB in the conference. Um Maryland's receivers are terrifying. They are going to be a high-powered offense, but that's actually not a bad matchup for us. Yeah, I was. So it's funny we were talking. I was like, I've just been thinking. I'd be like, well, I hope Maryland just puts it all on Talia and doesn't try yeah. to run too too much. I'm like, because we can absolutely score. I mean, I was hoping we could score points against this defense coming into the season. Now I'm like, oh hell yeah, we can yeah. score points against Maryland. We'll score points all day against Maryland. Um, which again, it's that's, it, it's. I mean, again, it's like, just buckle up for a lot of crazy close football games, yep. and you you know your team has the heart of a lion, and that we will do everything we can to be in these games. Iowa's the following week. That's another one. Ohio State bad matchup. Um, Minnesota probably a pretty bad matchup, especially if you think about like the RPO game that that Duke ran. I mean, that's like they do that exact thing. Plus, they have Muhammad Ibrahim. So and, and a monster offensive line compared to our yeah, tiny defensive yeah. line. So, so right. that doesn't feel great. Um, Purdue is another really interesting one. RPOs yeah. like love to throw the ball, but also throw to set up the run, but maybe don't have a lot of wide receivers or running backs. Right. We like, I think we like Purdue, but have also looked good to date. Like I, so yeah, I, you know, and then, and then Illinois again is unfortunately a bad matchup, but so like Southern Illinois, Miami of Ohio, Maryland, Wisconsin, Purdue are five plausible games. And maybe you swap out like a Purdue or a Maryland for a Penn State who's not playing bad. Maybe, you know, by Illinois time, like they look a little bit, a little bit different. We look a little bit different. And the matchup is is uh, maybe more in our favor. Um, but that's kind of what we're looking at. The path, the path could be there. It's right. not going to be easy. Right. So this upcoming weekend around the Big Ten, um, just kind of scanning up and down. I mean, all eyes are going to be in Lincoln uh, for the the big noon Thursday or big noon Saturday. Sorry, uh, with Oklahoma, Nebraska. Um, I, I get, that could be one reason why Trev Alberts decided to to pull the plug on on the Frost era before like everyone is you know the national TV game. You know, Fox's version of Game Day is is there and all the questions would have been about frost seven and a half million dollars seems like a small price to play pay for the change in narrative and the free advertising that you get to basically talk about whatever you want. Yeah. In that exact setting, Sammy. So like, I like 
that makes sense. I'll be honest. I don't know why they didn't do it after the end of last year. I mean, again, it's seven and a half million bucks. Like that's nothing for Nebraska athletics. Uh, Purdue and Syracuse. Um, Syracuse, a one point home favorite. That'll be interesting. Syracuse seems to be playing pretty decent football so far. I was going to say they've been playing some pretty good ball. And I think, yeah, we'll, we'll find out that's, that may be a very good game um, between two similarly matched teams. But I think, yeah, Purdue is certainly one team that, yeah, we absolutely have our eyes all over. And I think the fact that in that Purdue Penn state game, both of those looked like teams that Northwestern can match up with. Um, makes it even more interesting for us. Uh, Western Kentucky at Indiana, Rutgers at Temple. Um, Rutgers putting up a lot of points. Yeah, I mean, against Wagner. That's Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And they'll probably, and I mean, Temple's looking pretty bad. They'll probably beat Temple. Indiana, though, staring 3-0 and in the face right now. Um, with If, you know, if they beat Western Kentucky, I mean, their over-under was pretty low. I don't know how low it was, but... I think they're probably already going to be pretty close to it. Um, they've they've done what they needed to do. I mean, I'm you know, good for them. Like I like seeing Indiana write the ship. Um, I feel like karmically that helps us continue to write the ship. And you know, this narrative that that uh, 2021 was the blip, not 2020 was the blip. I think we we all want to get behind that. So I like Indiana continuing to get better. I mentioned Penn State at Auburn a little bit ago. Colorado at Minnesota. That's going to be a bloodbath. Colorado's Probably. terrible. Yeah. Uh, I, I I said this to you guys over text earlier today, but like a Minnesota team that steams its way to 7-0 and against a whole bunch of cupcakes is definitely something I've never seen before in my life. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's the Glenn Mason era run back. But, at, you know, that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is like, if you're if you're dead set on betting on Minnesota to win the West, I'm not going to stand in your way yeah. right now. They, <laughs> like, the, the, I mean. Kirk Chiraka, the prodigal son, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He yep. returns and uh, and they get back to what what they were doing back in 2019 before uh, before he left. Uh, Toledo, Ohio State, Meh. New Mexico State, Wisconsin, Meh. whatever. Uh, Michigan State at Washington. Washington, a three and a half point home favorite against the number eleven Michigan State Spartans. Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, yeah, fascinating, right? Uh, I mean, Six hundred and eighty-two yards and six TDs in two games. Welcome back. Yeah, good for him. I mean, I you know I don't want to be cynical. I don't want to frame this the wrong way, but Michigan State is having to play early in the season. Michael Penix Jr. Who often doesn't make it to the end of the season. Uh, But when he's out there, he is awesome. And I mean, it's, he, I would, I mean, there's nothing more that I'd love to see than for him to have a great game and get the Huskies a win. Um, But at the same time, I think, you know, Michigan State, this is their, their first big test, right? I mean, this is a team that theoretically is, is in the playoff conversation and it starts here. Uh, you got Nevada at Iowa. Iowa's a 23-point favorite. Can Iowa score 23 points? No. I mean, <laughs> I was a I was a 23-point favorite. Wow. I mean, unless Nevada just turns the ball over like crazy. Let's see. Their QB has uh zero picks thus far. So, I I mean, I don't know. And then team fumbles, no any fumbles. 
Well, Nevada lost to the aforementioned Incarnate I, Word. Yeah, I saw that. They beat New Mexico State and Texas State and then lost to that same Incarnate Word that, uh, yeah, that also in, beat us. Incarnate SIU. Word is averaging like 60 points a game yeah. for two games. I'm like, I don't even know what this place is. And they hung it on Nevada. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious too because I'm like, right, 21 points implies that you think Iowa can win this game 21 nothing and I'm like that seems 20, like 23 John 23 20, 23 nothing yeah which three touch I mean that's a lot of safety I just like well <laughs> yeah it's like how how good is Nevada's punt team because right, Iowa right. is clearly coming after punts big time this year um that's how they got I think one of their safeties against uh the um, right. the the Jackrabbits uh so you know who, who, so who, Nevada Right, pun on third down. <laughs> yeah, quick and, kicks, uh, quick kicks. <laughs> a lot of quick kicks, Nevada. That's the, that's the key. And then uh, SMU at Maryland. Isn't uh, that so intriguing? Where, yeah, SMU. How's that whole media blitz? The Trans Am. How's that working <laughs> out for them? Have they been playing? Have they been playing uh, good football? Yeah, they're two zero. Uh, they've they've scored forty eight and forty five points and they've only allowed ten and sixteen. So they seem against to be, I mean, North Texas and Lamar. Yeah, North Texas and Lamar. I, but but I think if I was going to tell you to watch any game, this is the one I would tell yeah, you to probably. watch. That sounds like the one that's going to be the most fun. Yeah. Sa- Sammy, you missed a game, or or when you said it, it just I it didn't I wasn't ready for it yet. But that's Michigan UConn. Michigan UConn. Yeah, and, and I I, I kind of skipped that because the, well, the, what, what the everyone's re- going to be wondering. Right. Well, no, it's, not not who, wondering. They've announced it. JJ McCarthy is going to start. So, so it is McCarthy. They have finally. Michigan has finally made the correct quarterback decision again, in my opinion. But um, this is like they're going to go with the, the 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 kid who has the higher upside. We'll see how it pays off for him. I after all the talk we've done, I feel a little bad for Cade McNamara, who got the absolute raw end of this faux biblical deal that Jim Harbaugh trotted out. Um, this, what was <laughs> He's it like? The quarterback that got cut in half. Yeah. Right. It is, is that like, yeah, I'm giving you each a shot. One of you gets a shot against the worst team in all of football, particularly against throwing the ball. Um, and J.J. McCarthy went out and threw for like a million yards against Hawaii. And it's like, yeah, he's the guy. All right, well, I mean, whatever. I mean, whatever got them to the place they needed to be, which is starting J.J. McCarthy. I mean, it's it makes Michigan a heck of a lot more of an interesting team going forward. I mean, he was 11 of 12 for 229 yards <laughs> yeah, and three TDs. Right, like, right. He, he didn't try. He didn't do that much. It just like went really well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's. It uh, we're all agree that it's the right move for yeah. Michigan, and it just might get them to the playoff. Uh, looking just at around the rest of the country, kind of the biggest game I'm seeing so far: BYU, Oregon. That could be interesting. Yeah, two ranked teams. Um, on paper, not a lot of other really you know compelling games, but you know, like <laughs> that, that's like what this they past said about week, this past week, <laughs> exactly. Like. This past week, it uh, who knows? Uh, I think Jason Kirk from the Shutdown Full Cast was was hyping up week two like uh, all all week long. He kept saying on Twitter like, "Look at all these games; they don't look good." But week two is always better than you think it's going to be. Don't be surprised. And then, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty wild. So, I would I would say if I had to circle one, um, te- so Texas. 
the best thing that Texas did, aside from almost beating Alabama this season, is not schedule Maryland. Because if they had to play Maryland this week, they're 100% losing that game. Um, with that said, <laughs> yeah. UTSA, I would circle that one so heavily. Because almost beating Alabama and then blowing it to UTSA the week after is absolutely something Texas would do. And UTSA is a good football team. Not good on defense, but they score a lot of points that Texas will happily give up. Um, I'm just like, before we all crown that Texas is back, like, you literally just with Oklahoma alone, the amount of years where Texas has beaten Oklahoma and then blown it against some other awful team, um, there are so many of those. So I'd be circling that Texas-UTSA game for sure. How is Texas A&M still a 5.5 favorite against Miami? I'm not sure Miami is that good, but I did want. I was actually I was going to point this game out because um, not for anything about the game, but uh, I went. I I was out watching some NFL yesterday uh, on Sunday, and um, possibly the greatest moment besides the Vikings eviscerating the Packers, um, which was wonderful. The greatest moment of the day was when um, a dude walked into the bar wearing his wife's home home field apparel app state shirt and the one texas a&m guy in the in the bar got really mad then they put <laughs> and then they posed for a picture together so like it all's well that ends well but it was it was really effing entertaining in the moment I, i'm just for all of you in texas who are not a&m fans i'm just so happy that you can all experience what we experience with michigan and we'll have until the end of time Congratulations. App, you've given us all so much, and we thank you for it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, got to get things turned around for this weekend. Um, you know, hopefully Southern Illinois is the uh, medicine from the bad taste that was left in your mouth from Duke uh, this past weekend. Uh, we had a great time at the tailgate uh, in the East lot this past week. That was a lot of fun, I believe. We're working to get to the South Golf Lot for next week, but it's still not 100% clear uh, if we're going to be on the South Golf Lot or the Central Golf Lot. So again, uh, keep your eyes on our, our Twitter feed for uh, announcements as soon as we have confirmation on exactly where the tailgate's going to be uh, this weekend. And then, um, yeah, like we mentioned before, next weekend against Miami, Ohio, that's a 6.30 start. So nice little evening game for us. And uh, that should make for a a real fun tailgate then as well, too. So um, for those of you who stopped by, really great to talk to you all. Um, For those who we missed, uh, sorry we missed you. We'll definitely hope you swing by again this week uh, because we'd love to say hi. Yeah, absolutely. Just like, I mean, just like last year, um, the the fun times, the conversations we've had with everyone were so great. It's funny, Sammy, this time we were like, well, I guess we'll be getting heading into the stadium pretty soon. And all of a sudden, a ton of people were like, oh, Westlot Pirates, why don't we? We were like, well, I guess we're not going in. This is sweet. And then we just had like a bunch of great conversations. So, um, yeah, it was awesome. And we, we look forward to doing it all year. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. To head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlot Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasblad and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.